Hello and welcome back to Nerdy Girl Reviews, a podcast where I talk about whatever the fuck I want, completely unprompted. My name is Katie and I am going to share my unsolicited, unasked for opinions on all things media, movies, TV, streaming, sometimes books, music, video games, if there are any for me to talk about. And today I am covering Arcane Season 1, Episode 5, Everybody Wants to Be My Enemy. Now, I was correct. This episode does feature a cameo from the Imagine Dragons themselves. I'm not gonna lie, I laughed a little. Like, I (laughs) I laughed when I first heard it. When I first saw it, rather, when I when I watched the show for the first time, and I laughed even more this time. Actually, there were several parts throughout this episode that made me just either scream or crack up, and I don't really know why. <laughs> there was just a lot going on. Like it's absolutely wild. First of all, how fast the plot is moving. Which isn't a bad thing. Like, I think the people hear that and they're like, oh, that means it's rushed. No, it's not. It means they're, it means they're not wasting any time. You know, the plot is moving very quickly. I will say that. However, they're not sacrificing character moments to make the plot happen. They're weaving all of those character moments in between the plot because it's relevant to the plot. So like every time I'll I'll talk about it while I'm reviewing the episode, but like whenever Jinx is like experimenting with something and she has like a fucking flashback to her childhood trauma, it's relevant. It makes sense. It's helping move the story forward and there is just so much that is being woven together in such an intelligent way. And there are so many good parallels between the present story and like the previous, you know, three episodes or the first three episodes, I should say. It's just brilliantly executed. I know I keep saying it, but this show is really good. I wouldn't be watching it again if it wasn't really good. So, you know, I think it rather goes without saying. But that said, I did want to talk about a couple of things before I get into the actual episode. The first one is that I completely forgot to mention in my last episode that I went to go see the Dungeons and Dragons movie like a week before I recorded that last episode. So, or maybe it was the same weekend. It might have been. But regardless, I did go to see it and I thought it was a lot of fun. I am struggling to understand why it has performed so poorly at the box office. And I think part of it has to be that people were put off by the movie itself because they themselves are not familiar with Dungeons and Dragons. However, I took my dad to see it and he really enjoyed it, even though he's never played D&D and doesn't know anything about it. So you don't have to. So even if you don't know anything about D&D, like go check it out. It's really fun. It's just a really good found family story. I thought all the performances were really good. I thought the effects were really good. There are some beautiful shot, like it's a beautifully shot movie, especially for the budget. I just thought it was really, really good very fun, very entertaining. It's exactly it's exact it's exactly what you want. You know, it's exactly what you want out of it and nothing more. The end, period. I do want to go see the Mario movie. It's gotten ringing endorsements from people that I trust. It's just another one of those movies that looks like it's really fun. And I've been saying that since the first trailer came out. And then I saw the critic reviews and I was like, "Uh, oh, I mean, I usually agree with the critic 
reviews over the audience reviews, so I'm probably not going to enjoy it, but that's not always the case. There are definitely movies that I watch where I either agree more with the audience reviews or I don't agree with either, which happens, you know, a fair amount of the time. And I'm not one of those people either who, like, puts a lot of stock into either kind of review or any kind of reviews. I just go to a movie and I watch it and manage my expectations and form my own opinion on it. Uh, Same as I do with a TV series if I'm watching one, which, you know, I am right now, of course, although I've already formed almost all of my opinions about it the first time I watched it. Even when I went to go see, like, The Batman, I had seen all of the rave reviews about it and I was still nervous that I, I might not like it. Like, I was like, I've been waiting... I think over three years for this movie. I think it was like late 2018, maybe, that Robert Pattinson had been announced as Batman. And a couple months later, they did that like camera test, that like makeup camera test with the, you know, the runny black eye makeup. Or maybe that was, no, I think it was the, the like actual camera test with the suit on. Then it was two years before we got the actual movie. It got delayed twice and I was so nervous that I wasn't going to like it. And then I went to go see it. And of course, I loved it. And I was like, this is, I always do this thing. Not always, but a lot of the time when I go see a really good movie, I'm like, wow, that's my new favorite movie of all time. (laughs) And I definitely did that with the Batman. I, I don't know if it's my favorite movie of all time, but it's definitely up there. And I do have a strong attachment to it. I just think that everybody needs to manage their expectations when they go in to see movies. I do also have somewhat of plans to go see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I really love those movies. I may not be a huge MCU fan anymore. I'll be the first to admit that. I will say that I think the thing that really got me like invested in the MCU was that first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And that kind of surprises people. Like they don't expect me to be into the weird like supernatural space adventure kind of movies. And I'm like, I grew up watching the original trilogy of the Star Wars movies, so I don't know where you got that impression from, but just jot that down real quick (laughs) because I do love sci-fi and I do love that kind of stuff. In the MCU, I really enjoyed Captain Marvel. I thought it was a pretty good movie. I don't know. I'm in the minority there, I'm sure. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy is like the first movie ever too where I went to go see it with my friends. I think the weekend it came out, I was like, guys, this movie looks really good. And we kind of throughout high school had developed this tradition of going to see MCU movies together. And I think it was the last one before we all parted ways for college, which was really emotional. I had just, you know, graduated from high school. And maybe that's kind of why I'm so attached to it, because I was going through like a transitional period in my life that I look back on very fondly. I had a lot of fun that summer before I went away to college and I did a lot of fun stuff and I went to a lot of fun places and, you know, everybody looks back on being a teenager fondly. Um, Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. Yeah, we just really ended up enjoying it so much so that I went, I was house-sitting for someone at the time. So I went to their home, I went home and I called my dad and I said, you really need to see this movie called Guardians of the Galaxy with me and we need to go tomorrow. And he was like, okay. And we went and he loved it. And it just became like my new favorite Marvel movie. Again, I 
I do that thing a lot of the time where it's like, I just saw this and now it's my favorite, although I haven't done it with the MCU in a while. But yeah, I, I have a really strong attachment to that movie and I have a lot of faith that the last one here is going to be really good. Regardless of how I might feel about James Gunn or anybody might feel about James Gunn as a person, I've always really liked his movies and I thought that The Suicide Squad from 2021, solid, solid movie. Like, genuinely, I I predicted almost every single plot point of that movie, but I still really enjoyed myself. And that's the thing. It's kind of like the D&D movie. Like, even if something is predictable or not very unique or original, it can still be a lot of fun. That's a movie that didn't take itself too seriously, that had fun with itself. And I think the R rating also made it a lot more fun. Um, I haven't watched Peacemaker yet, but I really, really, really need to. I just don't have HBO Max right now. I used to, but I canceled it because I had too many subscriptions and I was spending too much money. Someday when I get HBO Max back or Max, because I think that's what they're changing its name to, which is fucking stupid, I'll watch Peacemaker or I'll just bootleg it. I don't really know. Or I'll bum somebody else's HBO Max uh, login. But yeah, anyway... Uh, I think that's all I have to talk about. I haven't been listening to my audiobook, and I know that that's bad. I still have, like, a couple weeks until I get another, maybe, like, three weeks until I get another, um, until I get another credit from, sorry, my cat is, like, falling off the chair. Um, I have a few more weeks until I get that next Audible credit, so I have a little bit of time. I only have like three and a half hours left of the Yang Chen book. I don't know. I just haven't been as into this book as I was Kith and Kin, and I know it's because I am just so in love with the twins, and I'm so in love with Critical Role right now, which I also haven't been watching. I just haven't had the brain space to like absorb a four-hour YouTube video for some reason. And I want to get back into it, but I think it's going to have to wait until after I'm done watching Arcane. Like, it's just, or maybe, I don't know. I don't know what I'm waiting for exactly, but I know what it is and I'll know it when I know it. You know, I'll know it when it happens. But anyway, let me take a quick break and come back to talk about season one, episode five, Everybody Wants to Be My Enemy. I'm still floored by the Imagine Dragons cameo. That's really something. So like many of these episodes, this one starts out with a flashback. And immediately I was like, who the fuck is this? Like, why are we here? It's the middle of the woods. It's very cold outside. I think there's snow on the ground. And these woods look creepy as hell. Essentially what's happening here is a shooting competition between Caitlyn and Enforcer Grayson. So clearly this is in the past because Grayson is no longer uh, among the living and Caitlin does look younger. This is her younger voice actor, I think. She's just adorable, little Caitlin. I love her so much. And she's shooting reasonably well and then she gets to like the next round of targets and then Grayson kind of starts to one-up her, but at the very last minute, Grayson lets Caitlyn win. Caitlyn is being celebrated. Everybody's so proud of her. Her parents are like so happy, but she's being a little shit. And this is something that Caitlyn is really going to need to deal with throughout the rest of this season, I think, is coming from a place of privilege and coming from a place of everybody like constantly kissing her ass and just giving her whatever she wants. She's 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 very, 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 very privileged and she's very well off financially. Like she 
comes from a great family who is very well respected. And I think that she takes a lot for granted, but she also doesn't want to be like just handed things because of who she is or who her parents are. So she's sitting out on the steps outside of where the celebration is happening. Grayson is out there with her. She has this little trophy next to her and she's like, so how much did my parents give you to throw the competition, essentially? This is, I think, where we get our scene that somehow inspires Caitlin to become an enforcer when she's older because Grayson explains that no, Caitlin's parents did not pay her off, but she did throw the competition anyway because she felt like Caitlin deserved to win. She's, you know, very talented and she wanted to give her the win to kind of, I guess, boost her confidence. But she also didn't feel like she needed the win herself, Grayson, because the reason why she is such a good shot is because she's an enforcer and she feels like she's protecting people and that's reward enough. But she asks Caitlin why Caitlin, you know, wants to be a good a good shooter, essentially. Again, I guess this scene is our explanation for why Caitlin wanted to become an enforcer in the first place. We'll see other instances of kind of tribute or other characters commemorating Grayson, which I find really interesting. There's a there's an interesting parallel between Grayson and Vander, I think. Grayson was kind of the Vander of, you know, the top side of, of Piltover. There are some interesting parallels going on with them in another regard that I will get to when I talk about the scene that I'm referring to. After that flashback, we are taken back to the present with Vi and Caitlin immediately where we left off with the last episode. Um, Caitlin is basically trying to get some information out of Vi, of course. She wants to know why she beat up the uh, henchmen of Silco's, and Vi is like not being very compliant. She's actually being quite um, pervasive and, you know, she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to comply with what Caitlin is trying to ask her, essentially. Um, Caitlin tells her that he was like a prime, you know, uh, witness in a, in a case that she's working on. And Vi's like, whatever, I don't care. Just send in whoever is gonna kick the shit out of me because that's all, you know, I really seem to be good for anyway. Caitlin tries a new tactic. And this is to open up her little scrapbook of evidence and show Vi the little monkey doodle. Vi immediately recognizes it and asks where she got that. And Caitlin's like, this is evidence for the case that I'm building and I need you to cooperate with me or I'm not gonna be able to figure it out. Vi is like, well, you'd kind of have to get me out of here. I don't really see how much use I'm going to be in here. So Caitlin goes back down to or up because Vi is in like the 40th level of the basement or something. Anyway, she goes back up to the front desk and she gives them a document from Counselor Talis. So Jace's first act as counselor, I guess, is to give Caitlin some documents to get Vi out of jail. She, in this scene, also asks how many times they've used physical discipline against Vi. The guard, like, laughs at her and says that he never thought to keep count. That should give me chills. Like, that's insane. 
how many times Vi has gotten beaten up for literally no reason. As much as this show brings out like the the ACAB in me, it also brings out the anti-prison industrial complex in me too, um, which is always there. And, you know, I will never not be that way. But Jesus Christ, it makes me even angrier, especially knowing that like Vi is in there for no fucking reason. Caitlin even says when she's confronting her, like, I don't even see any crimes on your record. Why are you here? And Vi apparently has been here the whole time. She's just been in jail because I guess Marcus didn't know what else to do with her because he's a piece of fucking shit and I don't care about him. But anyway... We have our intro. We come back from the intro and it's like a funeral service for the enforcers that Jinx killed or whatever. No one cares. Boo. The end. Marcus is there giving a speech or whatever and his daughter is there. She's like a little red haired girl. We find out a little bit later in this episode or at least it's implied that this little girl's mother is dead because there's a drawing on his desk at work of him holding hands with the little the little girl and there's like a red-haired woman stick figure up above them like implying that she's dead and in heaven and looking down on them or something so anyway no one cares about marcus the end he does take his daughter to go to grayson's grave or it's like a mausoleum honestly it's like huge it's like a like a big grave that is a little bit unnecessary but i guess that's nice it's nice for him i don't know But he goes to the last drop immediately after this to go confront Silco and basically demand that he give over Jinx because Jinx killed six of his enforcers and he's like mad about it, I guess. Silco absolutely downright refuses to allow anybody to take Jinx away from him. So Marcus is very upset, but Silco is like, I don't know what you want me to do because she's like a person with her own autonomy. She can literally do whatever she wants. But hey, didn't you say that there were like problems with the firelights? Because they were at the hex gates fucking with my shipment. And I think that maybe you should just pin this crime on them. Get them off my back and we'll all be good. And Marcus really doesn't want to do that, but he doesn't really see any other choice because these two have a deal. And I remarked that this deal feels an awful lot like the deal that Vander struck with Grayson way back when. So it's kind of interesting to note these parallels that are happening between these characters because when Vander had a deal with Grayson, who was very by the book, who was very like doing her job, not doing anything extra, she felt like she was doing a good thing. And then you have Marcus who has gone down such a dark path to work with a drug lord, somebody who is literally like pretty much a wanted criminal just to be able to keep his job because it's also implied that Silco kind of helped him become the sheriff. It's a very like parasitic relationship that is very befitting Silco as a character. But yeah, I just thought that that was something really interesting to note. We will touch on more of Marcus and Silco throughout this episode. Now we are 
with Victor and Jace. And Jace is pretty much going through all of the paperwork of all the imports to the city and noticing that there is a lot of like illegal activity, essentially, just things that are not supposed to be imported into the city are being imported. Victor is very hyper fixated on the you know, new inventions that they're trying to push out. But Jace is distracted. You know, he has a new job. He's a counselor now. So he kind of has to, he has to start doing that as well. He does apologize to Victor for not unveiling the new um, technology that they are working on at the progress day speech. He didn't want to put it out unfinished. And Victor is very, very, very passionate about wanting to help people now with it, right? It's like, it's the only thing he cares about. He just wants to push these inventions out, even though they're not totally ready. And this is when Marcus arrives here because Jace wanted to talk to him. And he's basically ratting on all of the people who have imported things illegally. Victor is like in a fucking trance. He's looking down at the technology that he's been working on and he starts to see like patterns and lights and stuff and then his nose starts bleeding. He is just entranced in this thing. Jace comes over and asks him if he's okay and he's like, oh yeah, I'm fine. He grabs his crutch and then he scoots on out of there as quickly as he can. And as he does, there's like a shift down of the camera and like focusing, holding on, it's not a real camera, but you know what I mean, on the drop of blood that's on the banister that he was holding on to, which is, ooh, the foreshadowing. But anyway, we're back down in the Undercity with Jinx. She is using the gemstone to try to make weapons out of it, essentially, right? That's what her whole goal is. She puts it into her little invention that she's working on, and it doesn't work. She's like, okay, well, I guess I have to figure out all this like magic and math stuff. And then she does that, and it explodes, which reminds her of the day. There's a lot of stuff happening with flashbacks in Jinx's storyline. So heartbreaking. She just starts sobbing, as the magic dissolves into blue flecks of light around her and saying that it was a mistake. It's so chilling. It's like literally, oh, I can't. I just can't. And she runs away. And as she does, the camera pans down to the little bunny toy that belonged to Vi. There's a really great transition here to Vi, speaking of. She is going to lead Caitlyn into the Undercity to track down Silco so that Caitlyn can bust his ass. But before she does, she puts on her hoodie because one thing about Vi, she loves a hoodie, and she just starts parkouring down through this through the city, which Caitlyn is not fast enough to keep up. But she tries, bless her. She's also wearing a teeny tiny skirt, which is, like I said, extremely impractical. I literally said in my notes, this would be so much easier if she had fucking pants on. That's all I'm going to say. But she's also not doing all the like acrobatics and cardio that Vi is doing. Vi is just, she's, she's she's a video game character. I mean, duh, she is, of course, but it's even more prevalent here when you realize like how fucking fit she is and just how insanely strong she is. Like she's not just a beast 
fighting, she's also very fast and very nimble. There's a really, really, really cool shot of her up on like a beam looking over the city and the score that's playing, the music that's playing is so emotional and gorgeous. And she's just having such a a reflective moment being back at home, but everything being so, 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 so different. It's a great, 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 great scene, and it's a great shot. But that's where we leave them for now. So back with Victor and Jace, they're trying to figure out how to make do without the gemstones. Victor is kind of messing around with runes to, as he explains it to Jace, make the Hextech learn and like adapt, improvise, overcome etc. Because, you know, magic can do so many different things. Why can't they teach it how to do different things? To me, this is giving a little bit AI vibes and I don't know how to feel about it because I have mixed feelings about AI in general. I don't want to get into it. It's like the one thing I'm like, you know what, ACAB 1312 fuck the prison industrial complex, but I don't want to say anything. <laughs> I don't want to say anything fucked up about artificial intelligence because people might get pissed off at me. I have mixed feelings on it. That's all you have to know. There's a really funny part of this scene where Jace asks Victor if he thinks that it's safe or not. And Victor just says, of course not. I just, again, I think that their dynamic is very interesting and fun to watch. This next scene with Vi and Caitlin is really funny and another great showcase of the chemistry that's between them. Vi really wants to go to this food stall that she used to go to that's run by this like big, he's like a little bit amphibian kind of looking guy and she's just downing this bowl of interesting looking fish it's like blue caitlin is pretty disgusted by it and she does not hold back on that but she's like okay why are you wasting our time you need to ask this guy for information and Vi is like oh no i'm just here to eat but as she's finishing up her meal the server jericho gives vi a napkin with a little symbol drawn on it by grabs the napkin and they leave the establishment. I'm really, I just all already loving the chemistry between these two and I'm suddenly realizing why I'm so into them. I really do like them a lot together. And speaking of a pair that I really enjoy together as well, Jace and Mel are at this kind of fancy event. It's like a symphony. It's like an orchestra kind of performance. There's a violinist playing on the stage and they're in a box seat, which is very fancy. And there's tons of like higher ups, council members, all important people in the city who are in attendance. And Mel is basically giving Jace a little bit of a political lesson right now because he is trying to crack down on corruption. He's kind of starting to make a lot of enemies because there are even other counselors who are dealing in trade that is technically illegal, but they are, you know, wealthy and very powerful so they can kind of get around it because they're the ones who are making all the rules. Jace 
he's not really happy that he's going to have to kind of change his approach because he's a super like goody two shoes like Captain America type where he's like, I just want to make sure that everybody's doing the right thing all the time. And you know what? Like it comes from a noble place, of course, but at the same time with the position that he's now in, he really does need to learn how to play dirty and he's never going to get anywhere by playing it safe. So Mel has got him covered though in more ways than one. But anyway, we'll get to that because right now we have to check in on Jinx who is at the arcade that she used to play at with her sister and her brothers. It's starting to really affect her. She decides to fix the like punching machine that Vi used to play with, and she successfully does so. And then she starts to just beat the shit out of the machine, but she doesn't have enough points to beat Vi's high score. So there's, it's all interwoven with, again, flashbacks and memories flooding back to her of, in her mind, you know, her sister abandoning her and that horrible, horrible day where she (laughs) killed her whole family. She'll start having a better time in this episode. I feel like Jinx kind of always starts out an episode like pretty strong and then dips back down and then goes back up again. But she she's got a lot going on in this episode and I can't wait to talk about it. Briefly, we are with Vi and Caitlin again and they go to the last drop to see what's going on in there. Vi has a very visible reaction to realizing that Silco has taken over the bar and turned it into like a skeezy nightclub. Uh, Caitlin even remarks on how skeezy it looks and Vi is like, yeah, well, mind your fucking business, you know, in her own head thinking like, it wasn't always like this. It wasn't a nice place, but it was a good place to go. It was a safe place to go. And now it's, it's different. Going to a very nice place again, Jace is still very reluctant to start being lenient on these imports and exports of illegal goods. But Mel is pretty insistent that it will be good for him because people are really looking to him to make big changes and make big improvements in the city. And they kind of look to him and see, you know, their their future. There is a particular merchant named Amara who comes to Mel and Jace's mezzanine. She is complaining about how she had enforcers knocking on her door this morning about the goods that she is trying to ship. Mel is like, listen, Mel is like, listen, it's okay, though, because Jace is going to allow you to do what you were doing before, but only if, you know, you are on board with what he is doing otherwise. He uses this as an opportunity to kind of get her as a financial partner, is what he's kind of calling it in his business. And he goes to each of the counselors, he goes to important influential people, and 
strikes deals with all of them. Mel is Mel is quite pleased with herself. Listen, she's really good at this. She's very, very good at like kind of playing people and playing with politics. And I can't help but appreciate a girl boss girl bossing, like unironically. So we're going to spend a little bit more time in the Undercity with Vi and Kate. They are at, there's no way to put this delicately, a brothel, which is the place with the same symbol that Jericho drew on the napkin for Vi. Caitlin is so uncomfortable here. (laughs) She has clearly never been to a place like this or even probably thought of a place like this existing. She's like, okay, so what are we going to do? And Vi's like, I don't know, I guess, like, we'll pretend like we work here. Caitlin is horrified by that suggestion, but Vi starts to kind of try to use a tactic that I very much appreciate. But first, she kind of implies that Caitlin has a little bit of privilege that she ought to check because she acts like everyone should do whatever she wants, but she needs to, in this scenario, act like she has what people, other people want. And Caitlin, mm, Caitlin is quite um, confused by this implication, but Vi very forwardly kind of backs her up against the wall and says, you're hot, cupcake. Now, I at this point am a melted puddle on the floor because Jesus Christ. And she asks her, So what'll it be, man or woman? Um, like, I am gagged. Are you kidding me? So, as they're standing there, there is a man walking by who is presumably a customer, who Vi grabs and kind of leaves to Caitlin to distract so that Vi can go and find the madam of the brothel, who is named Babette, who absolutely cannot believe her eyes before her because clearly it's been a long time since she's seen Vi. Me in my head, I'm like, how does Vi know this woman when she was like a child teenager when she got thrown in jail but you know maybe vi knows her from something else i don't know anyway marcus is back to see silco and he's telling him all about how jace is on the council now and he is going to probably figure out the deal that marcus and silco have silco is like listen Take one of these, it's a grenade that Jinx made, and just tell everyone that it was the firelights. Like, this is proof enough. Marcus really does not want to do this. He has an intrusive thought of pulling the pin and blowing him and Silco up, and at first I was like, god damn, I thought Jinx had bad intrusive thoughts, but like this, this is an intrusive thought. But he's too pussy to do it, so he just takes it and walks away. So Silco is asking Jinx if her experiments are coming to fruition with weaponizing the Hextech, and she's like, I can't do it. I just keep seeing visions of that day, and I can't control it anymore. 
So Silka is going to come up with a plan to kind of help her deal with that so that she can do what he needs her to do. Vi is still talking to the madam and basically she tells Vi that ever since Vander died, they've all been like powerless against Silco. He rose to prominence very quickly with his money and his influence. Vi then asks about her sister, but Babette does not know what happened to her. As far as she knows, Powder is probably dead too. In this conversation, she tells Vi that Silco's number two, meaning Savika, is a regular at the establishment, and she gets one of her employees to tell Vi where to find her. So Vi makes her way to leave, but on the way out sees Caitlin speaking to a patron who happens to be a woman and holding the conversation pretty well, which pleases Vi and also immediately makes me think, okay, so gay. (laughs) Definitely 100% a gay homosexual character and scene. That's all I have to say about that. Unfortunately, the homoerotic vibes do not last throughout the rest of this episode because we are once again with Mel and Jace. They're back at her place, I think, where she is just fawning over him and how well he did that night. They just have this really sweet conversation about the future of their work together. So in this conversation, she also decides to kiss him. Long story short, they boink. But interwoven throughout this scene, Victor is experimenting with the hex core. He's still trying to figure out how to get it to work the way that he wants it to. His assistant, Sky, comes in and asks him if he wants them to walk home together, but he tells her that he's going to sleep in the lab and gets back to work. So she leaves. He is just really frustrated with not making any progress, and he throws all the papers off the desk, and then his vision starts to get hazy again, and he starts coughing up like enormous amounts of blood everywhere, falls to the ground, and a little drop of his blood gets like sucked into the hex core, and it's it seems like it's making it work, which is really um unsettling um so yeah like i said meanwhile mel and jace are boinking (laughs) this is a scene that i literally was like what the fuck is happening right now until i remembered that this is the baptism scene silgo takes jinx to the river i think it's the river where vander tried to drown him And he tells her that Vander was not the person that she thought he was. She's like, yeah, yeah, I know, whatever. And then he tells her about how he allowed himself to be reborn after nearly being drowned. And that if Jinx wants to ease her own pain, she needs to let Powder die and be reborn as Jinx. He lowers her down into the water and she goes under. See, baptism. If you're unfamiliar with what a baptism is, I'm very jealous of you. Good for you. I was baptized and I don't think it worked. 
because I'm an atheist. (laughs) So, I mean, my baptism was obviously a little bit different context than this. I wasn't dunked in the river at age 17 by my weird adoptive father. But, you know, anyway, Vi is on the move and she spots Savika. Not before we get the fucking Imagine Dragons cameo because whatever club, I guess this is a club or something. I don't know if this is the last drop. But yeah, Vi finds Savika. We'll get to see what happens with that momentarily. Meanwhile, Mel wakes up in her bed alone. Jace is at the bedside of Victor in the hospital. Victor wakes up and asks Jace, like, you know, what's going on? uh, Jace tells him that the doctors said something, but he doesn't really know what. And then Victor's just like, okay, how much time do I have left? So essentially, uh, Victor seems to be dying just a little tiny bit. But we will get to see what's going on with him again next week. Don't worry about it. It's fine. So Vi, as Savika is playing a game of cards with several other people, Vi just runs up on her and knees her in the fucking face. Um, Savika, the people that she was playing against, just grab a bunch of the money and get the fuck out of there. Savika pulls off her cloak as they're fighting and reveals that she has a prosthetic arm that is powered with a device that can inject shimmer into her body whenever she wants it to. Um, This fight is like literally neck and neck throughout the whole thing. Eventually, Vi pins her to the ground and asks where her sister is and what Silco is doing with her. And Savika's like, you mean Jinx? Because she works for Silco. Vi is taken aback enough that she kind of reels back. And as she does, Savika stabs her with her like fingers on her prosthetic arm that kind of have these sharp ends. Vi is trying to crawl away and she's moments away from killing her, but Caitlin shoots her in the shoulder and she runs away. Caitlin helps Vi up to her feet and helps her, presumably is going to help her get some medical attention. They have a really cute dialogue exchange here that I really love. And that's where we leave these two lesbians for now. Meanwhile, Jinx, now having been refreshed from her baptism, I guess, finally gets the Hextech to work. This machine is eerily similar to the original one that Jace built way back when. Savika like hobbles back to Silco's office. There's just shimmer leaking out of her, dripping all over onto the floor. And she tells him that Vi is back. Now he assumed that Vi was dead. So he is quite shocked by this revelation. We will get to see what happens with all of that next week. I cannot wait to watch that episode because, again, it's one step closer to the last batch of episodes, which is extremely, extremely, extremely good. I really think that this show just gets stronger and stronger as it goes, and I can't wait to dive into the rest of it. So join me next week as I cover Arcane Season 1, 
episode six, When These Walls Come Tumbling Down. Another Imagine Dragons reference. Wow, who would have thought? Don't forget to follow me on my Twitter and Instagram at nerdygirlpod, my Tumblr, which is just nerdygirlreviews.tumblr.com, my Facebook page, which is just nerdygirlreviews, and send me an email at nerdygirlreviews at aol.com with any questions, comments, recommendations, or suggestions. Until then, have a wonderful day, and don't forget to love each other.